Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. All right, good morning. You can be seated. How are we doing this morning? All right, thank you, Connor. If you haven't met Connor yet, you should meet Connor. Connor's awesome. Connor serves on our chapel team, and now he serves on our... Our, wor- our worship team here in service, so it's amazing. Um, so again, my name is Brooke. Um, I'm really excited to be here this morning. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to be um, get- presenting the word. And so when Pastor Michael asked me to do this, I didn't know yet what I'd be preaching on um, because we were still, this was a couple months ago, so we were still going through the book of Acts. And so normally, you know, when you prepare a message, it's like something you feel like God's laid on your heart, but I was asked to preach on Acts 12. But thankfully, God really has just stirred this word in my heart over the last couple of weeks, and um, I really believe that he has something for you this morning. So um, we're excited because Pastor Michael is on vacation, amen? He's on vacation with his family, so we are so glad that he can step away and do that. They are in New York City going to church this morning over there, which is awesome. Um, But again, just an honor to have been asked to be up here this morning. So I actually want to start service a little different. I did this with our our chapel the other day, and I thought, why not do it in church, too? So, you know, I'm a youth pastor, so I got to kind of do some fun stuff sometimes and, like, you know, let the youth pastor come out of me. And I think that you guys are up for it, so you have to participate, all right? Can we do that this morning? I know we lost an hour of sleep, but you got to participate. I promise it's not that uncomfortable. But if you don't participate, I'm going to look really dumb. So you got to do it, okay? Are we good? Can we do it? It's easy. I promise it's easy. Okay. So I have three pictures that are going to come up on the screen, and all I want you to do is I want you to yell out um, the first thing that comes to your mind when you see this person, okay? It's three people. Um, You know who they are. You don't know them personally. If you do, let me know. That'd be awesome. Um, But you don't know them personally. They're famous people, celebrities. And so I just want you to call out the first word or phrase, whatever it is that comes to your mind. Is that cool? Can we do that? You get an A for participating this morning. I hate that whole mentality of, you know, you get a trophy just because you tried. But this morning, you do, okay? Are we ready? All right. Let's put the first picture up on the screen. Okay. The goat, the best ever. I heard, what was the other one? Basketball. All right. Let's go to the next one. A saint. A lovely woman. Serving. Awesome. All right, last one. Steroids, okay. Anything else? I had to put a fun one in there, you know. Okay. So we're going to put a pause on that. You'll figure, you'll know why we did that in a second. We can go to the next slide, though. Um, So the title of my sermon today is Living on Purpose. And so we're going to be talking about not just living on purpose, but what our purpose is. And I think it's interesting when when you talk to someone who's not a believer... And even when you talk to someone that is, oftentimes if you say, hey, what's your purpose in life? Like we don't really ask that question a lot, right? But if you were to ask someone that question, if you were to ask yourself that question right now, 
What's the answer? What's your purpose in life? And what's, what's sad is if someone's not a believer, there really isn't a whole lot of purpose, right? And if you're living life without purpose, that's going to be a hard life. Life's hard enough without God, right? And so we know the Great Commission. Our purpose in life is to go out and make disciples. We are created by him, for him. We are supposed to be in relationship with him. We are supposed to be living for him. That is our purpose. And so today, um, I have one question I'm going to be going back to as we move through Acts 12. And that question is, how do we know that the church was living on purpose, that they were living out their purpose? So remember that question. We're going to answer that six different times today, okay? Six different ways in Acts 12 that we can see how the church was living on purpose. And so I want you to be thinking about as well, what is your purpose? And since we do know if you're a believer and you know what your purpose is, how are you living that out? And we're going to learn a little bit more today about how we can do that. So we're going to dive into scripture here. We're going to read the first four verses of Acts 12. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That means he was beheaded. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he can see now that he can gain some political clout here, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen people it takes to guard Peter. Why is Herod so concerned about Peter? If you remember back in Acts, I think it was chapter 5, Peter was in prison. And then God sent a great earthquake. Peter was out of prison, right? So Herod doesn't want to look like a chump, right? He doesn't want to look like a fool. He's got four squads of four soldiers that are going to be rotating and make sure that Peter does not escape this time, okay? So this is really cute of Herod. He thinks 16 guys can stop the will of God, right? So 16 guys are guarding him, and Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, And so the first thing that I think is really evident when you read the first, just the first two verses of this, right, is that they know, these people who aren't believers, they know who the church is, right, because they're persecuting them. They know who Peter is. They knew who James was. They knew who they were so well that they hated them because of what they stood for, that they were actually trying to kill them. And so my question for you this morning is what are you known for? What are you known for? We put three pictures up of three different people, and you yelled out whatever first came to your mind. What if I put your picture on the screen this morning? What would the person who you came with say about you? What would someone who you know well in here say? What would someone who you even don't know that well, someone who is maybe just an acquaintance, what would they say about you? I think that There have been times in my life where I've met someone and they didn't talk about God, they didn't talk about church, they didn't tell me they were a Christian, but I walked away from that conversation and I thought, I would bet money that that person loves Jesus. Not because of anything they said, but the way way they held themselves, their demeanor, the way they acted, the way they spoke. Have you ever met anyone like that before? Where you've walked away and you thought, that person's different, and we know as believers that it's the Holy Spirit. If you haven't met... um, someone who I really love. Her name is Ice. She works in our business office. And if you do know Ice, then you know Ice is a woman of God. But what's really cool about this is not only can you just tell that Ice loves Jesus without her saying it, there was, there was one day that Pastor Michael was coming into work and he had his oldest daughter, Lucy, who was 15 at the time. 
And as they were walking in, I, he said she got out of her car and Lucy saw her and Lucy said, that woman walks with the Lord. Didn't talk to her, didn't really know her. And I was just like, that is incredible. And that is what we should aspire for, right? We want to be known for our faith, for our love for God. That's what we want to be known for. We should want to be known for that. And so that's just one example of someone in my own life that I know well who I think uh, exemplifies that. And so we want to imitate Christ. We want, when people talk to us, when they encounter us, even if it's just at the supermarket when you're checking out, we want them to notice that there is something different, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done, because the Holy Spirit is living in us. And so that's the first thing that we see in just these first two verses is that the church, they know who the church is, right? They know who the church is. And so what are you known for? We know that the church was living on purpose because they were being persecuted. Pretty simple, right? We can see that. James has been killed. There's been others that have been seized. And now Peter is captured, and Peter's most likely going to be killed. We know that this is Herod's intention, right? And so we know that the church is living on purpose because they are being persecuted for what they're standing for. They're being persecuted for their faith. And thank God we don't face this type of persecution today, but we still face persecution. We know that if we're living for God, there's going to be those who do not like us very much. But we're called to stand for the truth. And so when we look at James, he's literally lost his life because of this. And now Peter, he's been laying his life on the line many times, and now it looks like it may be coming to an end because he is standing up for the truth. He is standing up for God, and therefore being persecuted. So let's see what happens next. In verse 5 it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was praying. The church was earnestly praying. That means with intense conviction. When is the last time that you've earnestly prayed? This convicted me as I was studying this word. When's the last time I've earnestly prayed with intense conviction. When is the last time I've done this? Am I just passively praying or am I earnestly praying? Because passively praying is easy. We passively pray. Not that that's a bad thing, but when are you really sitting down, spending time with the Lord and praying? This might seem like a really simple thing. We know that the church is living on purpose because they kept praying. They kept praying. If you think about it, James just got beheaded. Their faith very well, it doesn't say this, but I, I would think their faith is probably a little bit shaken right now, because don't you think that if they prayed, my hair is just really getting in the way here, if they prayed for Peter, or for James, don't you think, nope, I said it wrong, if they prayed for Peter, don't you think they're praying for James too? Don't you think that they were praying for James? And what happened to James? So their faith might be a little shaken right now, but they kept praying anyway. They were earnestly praying with intense conviction. They're praying for Peter. And this is a big deal because these are the guys who are going out and they're living out this great commission. They're making disciples. They are preaching the gospel and one of them is gone now and it looks like the next one is about to be gone too. And so this is a big deal. They kept praying. How many times in your life have you specifically prayed for something? Like really specific, God, do this exact thing. And the answer was no. Did it shake your faith? If it did, did you keep praying? Did you trust that he was still going to be at work? That's what they are doing right now. That's what the church is doing. We know they're living on purpose because although maybe their faith had been shaken, although they just lost one of their own, they kept on praying. 
the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, you know what Peter did? He slept. The night before his last night on earth, Peter slept. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He is literally chained to two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, I've lost sleep over a lot less. I don't know about you. But even if I wasn't facing an execution the next day, I think if I am laying on a prison floor, chained to two people, I'm probably not sleeping anyway, right? But Peter knows very well that this is probably his last night on earth. How in the world is Peter sleeping? I mean, this is, this is really crazy. How is he sleeping? I think it's, God doesn't need to spell this out for us. He was resting in God. He wasn't resting in himself and what he could do. He was resting in God. Peter knew, if God is for me, who can be against me? Man can do whatever they want. They can throw me in prison. It doesn't matter. Because the next day, Peter knew one of two things were going to happen, and either one that happened, he still won. Right? He still was going to win no matter what. Because when you have God on your side, God's already won, which means that no matter what happens to us, we win. And so Peter knows this. He's sitting in prison, chained between two guards, and yet he is sleeping. He has that peace that God talks about that surpasses all understanding. And so he is able to be chained on a prison floor and actually get some rest before his big day, right? Peter knows, I'm either going to die tomorrow and I'm going to be rejoicing face-to-face with Jesus, or I'm going to be set free and I'm going to be rejoicing with Jesus, So he knows he wins no matter what. So he's sleeping. He is resting. So we know that the church is living on purpose because Peter rested in God. And so my question for you is, when turmoil, in the midst of turmoil, do you worry or do you rest? This is a hard one, right? Like, this is way easier said than done, right? I know that... um, when Jordan and I, we, so our house, many of you know, our house flooded back on September 29th. I remember that day because it was the day our son turned one month old. Our house flooded. It was under a foot of water, and it was really hard, right? And this, we were still very blessed, right? We had our health. We had a beautiful baby boy. We had a place to stay. Thank you, Mom and Dad. We had this roof over our head. We had food. We were doing just fine, but it was still tough. And Thank goodness for my husband, because in the moments that I started to worry and think we are never moving back in there, he would kind of bring me back to reality, which was, God's got this, right? But that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard to worry about it a little bit, and that's a small thing in comparison into some of the things that some of you have been through or are going through right now. But we have the option here, we have the opportunity to rest, We have the opportunity to rest. God wants that for us. He actually says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in the Psalms, we see David, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so if you're living for God, opposition's going to be present, right? But when opposition is present, so is opportunity. So we see that Peter, he's taking this opportunity put in front of him, and instead of worrying, instead of thinking, oh no, what's going to happen to me? Or asking God, why is this happening to me? He's just resting in him. He's just trusting him. So when turmoil strikes, when you're in the middle of a situation that maybe you even created yourself, or maybe something that's just happened to you that you had no control over, what is your default? 
Is it to worry or is it to rest? Because when you rest, it's actually, you know, it's the word rest, but it's an active thing that we have to pursue. You have to pursue that rest in God. You have to know that he is for you. God says that he, will, he can take what the enemy means for evil and he can turn it for good, right? For the good of those who love him. And so if you love him, then you know that God can take whatever it is you're going through, as bad as it might be, and he can make it good. If I were Peter, I would probably be like, God, why are you doing this again? Like, I was just in prison. You already broke me out once. Why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting the enemy come against me? I'm just trying to live on purpose for you. I'm just trying to live out my purpose for you. And you're letting the enemy get in the way. You're letting them take me out of that. But that's not what Peter does. Peter just rests. And so instead of saying, why God, in the midst of turmoil, I think it's super helpful to just change the tone on that and say, why God? Why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen? What are you trying to do in me through this situation that I really don't like? Are you trying to make me grow in my faith, in my trust, in my patience, in my kindness? What is it you're trying to do? Because every single time, without fail, if opposition is present, then so is opportunity. So what are we doing with that? We know that the church is living on purpose because Peter took that opportunity to rest in God, to practice his faith. All right, let's see what happens next. Here comes God, because while Peter was resting, God was working. Amen? While you're resting, when you choose to rest in God, he's at work. So Peter's resting, but God's working, and here's what God does. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. That's like a very nice way to be woken up in the middle of your REM cycle, right? Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And now I've struggled with this verse because I'm like, did Peter stand up and then the chains fell, or did the chains fall and then Peter stood up? And I thought, well, you know what? Either way, there's a word there for somebody. Because sometimes God calls you to stand up while the chains are still on. He calls you to take that step of faith so that those chains can fall off. And there are other times that God, he, he does, he takes those chains away and then you can stand. But I think that there's a word there for somebody. Maybe you just need to stand up. Maybe you just need to take that step of faith and then see what God does. Because while you're resting, God is working. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He was in a deep sleep here. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Have you ever looked back on a situation where when you were in the midst of it, you thought, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you working? Just like we sang, even, you know, you didn't feel like he was working, even though we know he is. But then you get maybe months, years away from that, that situation, and you look back and you say, oh, now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord rescued me. 
Has that ever happened to you? It's so hard in the middle of of tough things, it's so hard in the middle of turmoil to feel like God's working. We can get into our, our own heads and it's hard to see that, but then when we look back, we can see without a doubt, God was there, God was working. And so what we see in this, in this passage is that Peter, he was obedient. So we know that the church is living on purpose because Peter is obedient. And we know he's not just obedient in this, in this scripture. He's been obedient, right? He's already been in prison. He's, he is practicing obedience. He is living out his purpose on purpose for God. But as I kept reading this, I, I thought it was interesting because I think First of all, if an angel just, like, punches you in the side in the middle of sleeping, like, that's a terrifying thing. I don't know what angels look like, but I imagine it's pretty impressive and pretty terrifying. And so he gets struck in the side. He tells him to get up when Peter, he gets up. Then he tells him, put on your clothes and sandals. So Peter puts on his clothes and sandals. Then he tells him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter does it. He obeys everything. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, if I were Peter... I would be getting out of there as quickly as possible, right? Like, who cares about your sandals and your clothes and your cloak? Like, let's go. But God is not in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. We are, but God's not in a hurry. He's not rushed. If you haven't noticed, there is no scripture that ever talks about Jesus being in a hurry or Jesus running anywhere, right? He walked. He's not in a hurry. And so he, he wants Peter to be comfortable, I guess. I don't know. He knows he's got to go on. He's got to do some more things for him. So Peter gets his clothes, gets his sandal, gets his cloak, and puts them on. And then I also thought, I would probably ask the angel, where are we going? Like, we can get out of this prison, but there's going to be people coming after me. Like, where are we going now? What's, what's the next step? But he doesn't. Peter just is obedient. What is it in your life? Like, these are small things we're talking about. Put on your sandals. Put on your clothes. Put on your cloak. Follow me. What are seemingly small things in your life that you're not being obedient in right now? What is God telling you? It can be something so simple, like reach out to that friend. They might need you right now. Put on love each morning. Ask me to fill you up. What are are the things that God is asking of you? They might seem small, but when you are obedient in the small things, that is training us, that is preparing us for those big things that we need to be obedient in. I remember when... Um, I first started working here, rather, a few months before I started working here. I was um, a teacher, I was a PE teacher at a high school, and I just couldn't shake this feeling. Jordan and I had been married almost a year, and I couldn't shake this feeling of, I'm supposed to be here. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I would do. We were doing youth already, but I just felt like God was calling me to be here. And so Jordan and I, we had lots of conversations and prayed about it, and, and we eventually came to the conclusion that, yes, this is God. God is calling you to be here. Don't know what it means, but you're going to go in, and we're going to commit to this. We're going to take a step of faith. We're going to go in. It's like, I think it was February, so this was not necessary yet, but we said, we're taking a step of faith. You're going in tomorrow. You're telling your, your principal that after this, this semester's over, you won't be returning. And so we made that decision to take that step of faith and obedience, not knowing what the outcome would be. And I kid you not, the day before I was going in to tell my principal that I would not be returning, Pastor Michael offered me this job. And so I got to see God's, God come through his, his faithfulness really quickly, which was so amazing. But it, I don't know, would that have happened if we hadn't decided we're going to take this step of faith? Maybe not. God's still faithful, so maybe it would have, but 
He wants you to be obedient in the small things. We've got to practice obedience in the small things so that when we get to those big things, like maybe not being in prison, chained between two guards, but maybe some other big things, that we can be obedient in them. Because Peter, all Peter's doing is being obedient his whole life. He knows what his purpose is, and he's going to fall through with it. And so he's now been broken out of prison. Everything that the Jewish people wanted to happen to him, it's not happening, right? God came through. God will always prevail. God will always win. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. This is the house. This is where the church has been earnestly praying, right? They've been praying for Peter with intense conviction. And so she hears his voice, and she is so overjoyed that she runs back, but she doesn't open the door, right? She just leaves Peter hanging and says, Peter is at the door. I probably would have left if I was Peter, um, but he decided to stay. And so here, here's her response to Rhoda. You're out of your mind. These are, this is the church. These are the people who were just praying for Peter, who were maybe even praying for him as he's knocking at the door, right? Their answer to their prayer is standing outside the door, and yet they actually had more faith to believe that it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished, because that's just the kind of stuff that God does. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, right? He's being pursued by these, these guards. These guards know if we don't catch this guy, we're, we're probably going to die instead. So they're after him. He motions with his hand for them to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So he's telling them everything that we just read, everything the angel just did that, that God sent. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. This is uh, James, the brother of Jesus, not James, who at the beginning of the story had been beheaded. So... Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. We don't know where he went, but one thing we do know is that Peter didn't stop living on purpose. He didn't stop living out his purpose. He continued to preach the gospel. He continued to go out and make disciples. And so we know that the church was living on purpose because he kept going. He's just gotten out of prison. He keeps going. It doesn't matter what man tries to do to him. He keeps going. It doesn't man matter who doesn't agree with him. He keeps going. It doesn't matter what anyone says, what anyone does. The only one he is concerned with is God. And so he is going to continue to keep going. He is going to live out his purpose. And so then we see the next morning, there was obviously some commotion going on, right? There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Right? They're in trouble, and they know it. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. And I just think this is so ironic, right? Because these are 16 soldiers we're talking about who are actively coming against God and his plan and his purpose and his will. And God actually doesn't even have to do anything to these guards. Their own leader kills them. So now 16 of these guys wiped out 16 of what I would assume are probably his best men that he has put in charge of Peter are now gone. And so then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. This was happening in the middle of a famine. 
On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is a voice, the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's pretty gruesome. Um, I did notice that it said he was eaten by worms and then he died. So it wasn't he died and then, sorry, maybe you didn't need to know that. But he was eaten by worms and then he died. So that's, um, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. So we see at the beginning of the story, things are looking dim. James is gone. Others have been imprisoned. Peter's now in prison. It's the eve before he is going to be killed, but the church is earnestly praying. And so it's not looking good. It's not looking good for Peter. But what do we see happen instead? It looks like Peter's going to be killed, but by the end of this story, we see that Peter's free, and Herod and 16 soldiers are dead. And God's will is prevailing, and the purpose God has put on Peter's life is is prevailing because Peter is being obedient to what God has called him to do. And so how do we know that the church is living on purpose? Acts 12, 24 says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So we know that the church is living on purpose because the word of God, it continued to spread. They didn't stop. It didn't matter how many times they were thrown in prison. It didn't matter how many of them were actually killed, stoned to death, beheaded. It didn't matter. They weren't going to let it stop them. And we are so privileged to be in a day and age where, and in a country where we don't have to worry about that. It's, I think it's really hard to wrap our brains around this because we can meet like this and we have no fear that when we walk out of here, anything bad is going to happen to us because we were here, right? It just doesn't really exist, but there is different type of persecution that can happen. And if we're living for God, we should face opposition for him. We should. And so we know that the church is living on purpose because they were persecuted, because they continued to pray, because they rested in God, they were obedient to God, they kept going. Because of all of this, the word of God, it continued to spread. And now we know, even if Peter wasn't obedient, God's will, God's purpose, it's still gonna prevail no matter what, right? And so that kind of leaves us with the choice of, do we wanna be on on the winning side, right? Do we want to be on the side of God or do we want to be on the side of Herod? Because God gives us the invitation to join with him, to join with him, to live out our purpose. It's, it, there's so many Christians who don't actually know their purpose or they know it, but they're not doing anything about it. We get so complacent with where we're at. We've received salvation, and then we just kind of want to sit in that and, and rejoice in that, which is amazing. We should, but we have to be moving forward. We have to be moving forward. And if you're not facing any opposition because of your faith in God, then maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Am I living out my purpose? Because if I am, I should be facing a little bit of opposition here. I've heard people say, you know, when I came to God, that's when, like, the war really started. Because if you're not on the side of God, then the devil's not super worried about you, right? The enemy's not worried about you. You're already on his side. But once we're on the side of God... Opposition is going to come because of that. And then, are you earnestly praying? Are you living out, like God has created us to be in relationship with him, which means we should talk to him. Are you praying for big things? Are you praying for small things? Are you just sitting down in a quiet place and spending time in the word with God, just talking to him, 
That's part of living out our purpose, living on purpose. And then are you resting in God? Again, it's easy to rest in God when life is good, when we're on a mountaintop, uh, mountaintop season, when everything is just wonderful. It's easy to rest in God, but when things get hard, that's when it gets hard to rest in God because we want to question, we want to worry. There's things that are completely out of our control, right, that happen to us in life. And so we want to ask God, why? But maybe we just need to say, why, God? What are you trying to do here? If the worship team wants to go ahead and, and come back up. So why, God? Why, what are you trying to do in me? How can I grow? How can I grow in then obedience? What is the small thing? What are the small things God is asking you to be obedient in? It cannot, it doesn't have to be something huge, right? But if we're obedient in the small things, and we can be entrusted with little, God's going to entrust us with much more. And we can begin to see our purpose lived out. We can begin to see ourselves growing. Because we know we need opposition to grow, right? Flowers, they grow in dirt. They grow from rain. We need opposition. We need tough things to happen to help mold us, to help shape us, to help grow us. And so sometimes, yes, God does let bad things happen. I believe that he does that so that we can then grow, so that we can get closer to him, so that the purpose of our, for our lives can begin to be realized and lived out. And so once we've done these things and the opposition comes and we're being persecuted and we're praying and we're resting in God and we're trying to be obedient, then you just have to keep going. You just have to keep going. It's such a big part of our faith. Just keep going because God, he is with you. While you're resting, he's working. He wants you to understand your purpose and he wants you to live out your purpose. He wants you to read his word and he wants you to not just believe all of it and know all of it, but do all of it. And then in turn, we should be spreading the gospel. As Pastor Ashley mentioned earlier, we have Easter coming up in four weeks. Who has God put on your heart? Or maybe ask him right now, who do I need to ask? Who is in your life? I know we all have people in our life who don't know the Lord. So who can we invite? And it doesn't have to be four weeks from now. Invite them next week. Invite them to your community group. Who does God have in your life that he wants you to speak to, that he wants you to go out and make disciples of? We know that the church was living on purpose. And we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so we have to live on purpose. If each individual, individual one of us lives on purpose, we're going to see amazing things happen in this place. I believe that God has been at work. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been in our midst this morning in worship. And I've seen things happening. I've seen some of you who I know well begin growing in that faith, begin growing in that purpose. There's something that God is doing, and I want to see everyone come along with it. I know God wants to see everyone come along with it, and I just wholeheartedly believe that if we dive in 100% all in for God, we're going to see Him do miraculous things, not just within your own life, but within this body. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.